Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rewildology, the podcast that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet, and part four of the Nepal Coexisting with Giants series. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, conservation biologist and globetrotter. When I ask you to think about Himalayan wildlife, what are the first species that come to mind? If you asked me, I'd immediately say the snow leopard because by now I'm sure you've all gathered that I'm borderline obsessed with big cats. (laughs) But these record-breaking mountains boast some of the world's coolest animals, two in particular that don't receive as much attention as their feline counterparts. In today's episode, I'm chatting with two awesome Nepali conservationists that are experts in Himalayan wildlife. First, you'll hear from Sonam Lama, who is the project coordinator for the Red Panda Network. We recorded his episode shortly after I returned from Nepal, as we were able to connect in country. Hopefully, I have done a good enough job editing the jet lag out of my voice. Afterward, you'll hear from Bupendra Yadav, a Himalayan black bear expert. Courtney and I met with Bupendra at our lovely hotel in Kathmandu shortly before departing Nepal. We discuss how human-bear conflict has increased over the years and his work to start one of the most comprehensive Himalayan black bear research studies. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening and share it with someone you think might enjoy it too. Sharing is the best way to help the show grow and the more people that learn about wildlife conservation, the better off our planet will be. All right, everyone, let's get to it. First up, my conversation with Sonam Lama from the Red Panda Network. Great. Mm-hmm. But Sonam, I would love just make an introduction of who you are and what you do. Thank you, Brooke, for inviting me on your podcast. And I really love the name of your podcast. Oh, thank you. And it's a great name. And it's like, it really relates us to the nature environment so i really love that one oh. and it's our honor to be on uh, on your podcast and it's very grateful for that one and i'm Sonam Asilama from uh, i'm originally from this Nepal, and i work at the red panda network as a program coordinator and uh, red panda network started work in nepal since 2007 and uh, our best our approach of conservation is community based written in Nepal. So when we initiated Red Panda Conservation in Nepal, we started from Eastern Nepal, from a village. So, but now we are expanded up to Western part of Nepal too. So, but I manage field activities of Eastern Nepal, which is also called PIT Corridor. That means Pastor Ilam Taplism Corridor in Eastern Nepal, uh, where the majority of Red Panda habitat of Nepal Lies. And about how big is that area? It's around 1,500 kilometers square. And uh, yeah, and that one, that area is, is a non-protected uh, area, which is a combination of the different community forest areas and private forests and obviously national forests. And uh, that VIT corridor links that the, the, the protected areas of Nepal and India, which is a conservation area in Nepal and single island national park of India. And the, both of them harbors red panda. And uh, there is a vast chunk of barren lands along that PIT corridor. So we focus on restoring red panda habitat there. And that, that corridor is very important, not only due to its unproductive status, but it uh, harbors, it provides a habitat for many endangered wildlife. So it's very important. 
Mm. So by protecting this land for the red panda, also all of these other animals highly benefit as well in the whole ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, you are right, Brooke, because uh, it harbors the eight of the two volcanic species of, of Nepal. And um, if we speak about it, the corridor is highly human dominated. So it's just, uh, the conservation is not only the wildlife, conservation also relates to the local people, uh, local community. So we also take care about the livelihood of the local community in the PIT corridor. So it's a kind of unprotected status, but it has a network of community forest of Eastern Nepal. So we are focused to work with the work in the ground with the community forest user groups. So they are our basic structures, basic unit of collaborators in the ground. And what is the ecosystem habitat there? So to help all of us listening visualize, what is the ecosystem that is in this corridor for the red panda? Uh, the, the forest habitat there is a, a temporary broadleaf forest where we can see a lot of broadleaf uh, tree species. And the red panda being an arboreal mammal, it's a very small mammal and that camera found well in the, in the forest. So there are big trees like oak trees. Uh, so that keeps a good uh, roasting sites for red panda because red pandas uh, spend their most of the time the trees and they need a, their diet is uh, that consists of bamboo, uh, bamboo leaves, which are more than 90% of food of red panda is bamboo. So that the, the temperate barley forest uh, also harbors a good uh, understory of bamboo and a lot of water, obviously, because red panda need to drink a lot of water to digest its food because bamboo is very coarse and are low in nutrient. So they are always busy munching bamboo leaves. <laughs> I could just visualize it. And that's so insanely adorable. Oh, they're so cute. So, okay, so since I spent most of my time while I was there in the Terai, so is this like technically in like the mountain zone? Because I'm assuming they're not in like the Himalaya Himalayas, like the super high altitudes. So what is like the elevation line that they usually stay in? Yeah, it, it's not a, it's not a, a perfect Himalayas because it's a mid hills. We call it mid hills. And the, the altitude range ranges from 2,000 meters to 4,000 meters generally. But the prime habitat red panda is around 3,000 meters. Yeah, in, around 3,000 meters. But sometimes they descend up to 2,000 meters and sometimes they can go up to uh, 400 meter or 4,000 meter when they have a good good biological corridor, when they have a good tree cover. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't near close to those elevations. <laughs> so I got to come back and do that. <laughs> got to check yeah, yeah, this yeah. out. <laughs> and what is, your, what is your highest elevation so far in Nepal? In Nepal, well, so I'm in the Rocky Mountains in the U.S. So uh -huh. I've been to pretty high elevation here, but I, I mean, Kathmandu was the highest elevation when I was in Nepal because I was in Bardia and Chitwan. So I was uh -huh. like very low in deep in the Terai, hot. It was very hot <laughs> when I was there. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> just the drive to Chitwan and Kathmandu mm -hmm. were definitely, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately. That just means I got to come back and explore all the rest of the ecosystems that are mu right. much higher. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's talk about the situation of the red panda. So what's going on with them? Why are they endangered? What are some of their biggest um, issues that they're having to go against? Yeah, the, the biggest threat for red panda consumption in, in around the world is destruction of their habitat because we are losing the losing wild habitats of 
every kind of uh, wildlife every day because human population is growing every day and th and that one demands uh, high natural resources so and red pandas are found in the asian countries that are five five countries of asia and most of them are this developed so the people of the mountain or the people of the mountains of uh, red panda range states are dependent on natural resources heavily because of because they're uh, the source of firewood, source of fuel for their uh, for people of that ranges mostly dependent on the firewood, and uh, they had to rinse their cattle free, freely in the in the forest. So all these are are associated with the destruction of red panda. But more than that, the people are the every council of every every villages wants more development, and the development in the in, in the current situation is not sustainable in our our mountains. So that, that one is also hampering the red panda habitat. And if we talk about the red panda habitat in Nepal, they are fragmented into more than 400 small islands. 400? Yeah. Yeah. Red panda network did a, did a national kind of habitat survey in 2016. And that, that survey revealed that the red panda habitat in Nepal is fragmented into more than 400. So that, that's a, very discouraging for the <clears throat> for us. So we are focusing to to connect such uh, small fragmented islands uh, to make to connect corridors. And the second biggest threat for red panda conservation is obviously the the poaching and the illegal trade of its, its pelts. That is based on the humans and that based on the fake market. So all these kind of activities are threatening red panda red panda red panda survival in the world. Have you seen an increase in conflicts at all, either in poaching or just habitat loss during COVID with everything being so shut down? Yeah, and that's a great question, Brooke, because we are having a pandemic situation uh, more than a year. So we were we were not able to conduct any field activities for, for a few months in the beginning of 2020. And at that time when our we uh, we were able to mobilize our forest guardians in the in the villages to monitor red panda habitat, and their data showed that the, the poaching, the evidence of poaching, and illegal activities in the forest were increased at that time because every people from the urban areas returned back to their villages because they lost their job, and people from the people who were in abroad for their job also lost their jobs, so they returned to the villages. So there was a pressure. There was high pressure in natural resources at that time, and that definitely affected uh, our natural resources. Mm. Yeah, I can totally see that. It just seems that uh, it's so difficult because it's one it's one thing that we absolutely love, you know, with like tourism and some other industries decreasing. A lot of pressure on wildlife has you know diminished. You know, it's because we're just not in their area. But mm -hmm. while I was in Nepal. I definitely saw the exact opposite happen because everybody mm -hmm. was so reliant on the natural resources, you know, like out in Bardia, 10 people had died in 10 months from tiger attacks. And mm -hmm. I just, it doesn't seem that like any of the areas in Nepal are escaping this right now. Like the wildlife mm -hmm. has so much pressure on it. Yes, there aren't mm -hmm. as many tourists, but at the same time, no one has any sources of income, so they have to make their ends meet. And if red panda pelt on the black market, 
is going to give them a lot mm-hmm. of money, then they're way more mm-hmm. inclined to do that. And uh, if we talk about uh, the the illegal trade of red panda pelts in Nepal, so I was looking to the data recently, and, uh, and it's just after right. It's we only crossed the first uh, quarter of the 2021, but we already seen we already witnessed 20 red panda pelts in the illegal trade market that were confiscated by Nepal police. So the 20 red panda pelts is very high. There, there was average uh, 13 red panda pelts in the market since 2008 to 2020. And uh, the recent data uh, of 20 red panda pelts uh, being smuggled in the, in, the, in the market that were that police were able to confiscate were, were fairly depressing because we can imagine uh, how many red pandas were killed during the, this pandemic because it's only the first quarter of the year and we already seen 20. And I, we can imagine what the real number would be. Right. Because I mean, that's just like you said, that's the number that was confiscated. That's not mm-hmm. what is probably out there in the market, which mm-hmm. I know I'm sure for you, I mean, it makes me hurt inside. I can only imagine how it makes you feel when this is like what you do. Like these are the animals that you've worked your entire career to protect. So let, let's get let's get into that then. What do you think being in Nepal now for a year, going into another lockdown? What do you think is going to help these amazing critters? Yeah, you mean how we can uh, we can strategize to protect red pandas? Yeah, yeah. Um, if there's any strategies that like the Red Panda Network that you've come up with in the past that you're trying or that you're currently experimenting with, or or Anything like that? Like, how do we turn this around so that there could be less red panda pelts in the black market? All right, right. And uh, last year, when we we were not able to able to go in the field and uh, do our real stops in the in the nature in the forest, then we 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 took another way of engagement well, with the social medias, and uh, we also appointed our ambassador, who is a local popular, very popular artist, and who is who is from from Eastern Nepal and who has a great uh, fan following from the rural areas to and uh, and uh, and the very younger generation to the older generation, and that was a uh, very successful. And uh, he was uh, we we tried to flow message of red panda consumption by him, so it was very uh, successful. And we are, are trying to continue that one. And another thing that was a uh, very Effective was we have a forest guardians and the the forest guardians are the local people from the red panda areas. We have a very good knowledge of red panda. We have a good knowledge of their forest, and they are the they are the users of that community forest. So we appoint them as a forest guardians, and the forest guardians is a is a kind of citizen scientist who monitors the red panda, who monitors the habitat of red panda. And they do anti-posing survey. They do. They teach our uh, community people about red panda conservation. So, so they are leading the anti-posing patrollings in their respective uh, community forests because in the rural villages there is less uh, less effect of COVID. So they can uh, do their uh, job uh, job in the forest. So that was very efficient, and because they are always there, local people, so they can keep their eyes open on what is happening in their forest. So we are trying to mobilize them as much as possible this year too. So and we also recruited some of the new forest gardens in our working areas to make our uh, community-based panda consumption more effective. And uh, apart from that, we are we are more focusing on recruiting female forest gardens because female 
uh, definitely have a great uh, kind of affection to their forest because they go to the forest every day and they know about the red pandas and that they are very much careful about their future generations because they raise their children. So we are we recruited some new female forest guards and we, we always train them to monitor a red panda and conduct anti-poaching patrolling. So, so these are some of our strategies in Nepal. That's really cool. And I love that you brought up engaging the local women in these conservation efforts because it's not not a slight against any of the other conservation efforts that I met with or, or anything, but that seemed to be a really big missing piece was not engaging half of the entire population, which is the women mm-hmm. of the household. And, mm-hmm. you know, because they're the ones, like you said, that well, was there and I learned they are the ones mm-hmm. that normally are going into the forest to collect whatever it is needed for their family. And unfortunately, in some of these areas has led to some bad things for these women just because of the wildlife in those areas that they encountered. But that's mm-hmm. really, that's really exciting. So how long has that program been going on where the women are being part of the guardians? They were, we, we engaged them since we started our program in Eastern Nepal. It was in 2007. At that time, we had two female forest guardians at the beginning. And um, there was some kind of uh, reservations from the community people because they were not very frank to recommend a forest, female forest guardians at that time. But when that two ladies demonstrated that they can also monitor Red pandas, they can also go to the forest like the male. And, uh, and that story, that demonstration has proved they are agreed uh, because uh, we don't choose the forest guardians ourselves. We request our uh, community forest users groups to choose uh, their forest guardians themselves. And we only provide them that these are the criteria for choosing a forest guardian. So you can recommend some of your uh, members, users, as a forest guardian who can excel the excel and, and fulfill the responsibilities of red panda monitoring. Wow, that is awesome. And I'm sure that they've helped grow the whole program. How many uh, women do you think you now have in the program as women guardians, <laughs> forest guardians? We have now, in total, we have now 100 plus forest guardians in all over Nepal. So I think we have, we have at least 20% of them are female forest guardians. And some of them are mother, some of them are very young, energetic. And um, they are very happy to share their stories when they go to the forest to monitor the panda and they encounter red panda. Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. So let, let's talk more about this community aspect because I wasn't very aware until I was in Nepal how important the like the community engagement aspect was, like being in these community forests around national parks and used and from what you just implied none of these areas are protected so this is just on the ground work that you are doing with these communities so how how have you been able to engage them and put value on the red panda so like how i would love if you could just go go into that because like i said being in the national parks there was a direct benefit from being around them there was government assistance there was these buffer zones there was all the tourism that comes into play but it doesn't sound like any of those incentives are in these areas so mm-hmm. how did you do that <laughs> yeah and i already mentioned that the red panda network's model of funders is completely best and it's the first of in the world of its kind because there's no any 
community based red panda consumption activities being being done in the red panda red states so far. So when he started the, the community based red panda consumption in Nepal, and until that we we devise every activities, every field activity with the community. And our model is bottom up. We, we don't decide what we need to do for the conservation of red panda. The, the local community, the local forest users groups always decide that one. We always do our red panda conservation workshops with our uh, selected community forest user groups just before the end of the month, end of the year, to, to take their advices. And we ask them what we can do in your community forest conserving red pandas and we want to take their recommendation we based on that and we prepare the red panda conservation activities and apart from that one when we we provide them the technical support to them we also provide the financial support directly to the to the local community forest user groups we have a local NGOs in every districts that one will also facilitate that that network of community forest user groups uh, and we also work with the division forest offices of uh, every district, so they can be with the local community forest schools every time when they need. Because the reach of our government, government officials, our government staffs, staff is very low in our in our country in the rural areas. But we we always try to engage. We always wanted to collaborate with the government officials of district forest offices, so they can reach to the local people, the users of the forest, and they can hear. Uh, their voices and address what they need. And that's one of the models we follow. And apart from that, we, we directly provide support to a smaller unit of our collaborators, that is community forest groups. So they will directly be in touch with our uh, with us and they implement uh, what they feel is very good to are uh, very effective for the red panda consumption. Wow. So it's truly community-based conservation. Like truly, like yeah. the definition of. <laughs> All right. And our community-based red panda conservation is the longest one. Uh, and we, we monitor red panda in, in community forests in Nepal for more than a decade. And, uh, and then apart from that, uh, when, you, when you mentioned that uh, there are resources, there are possibilities of red panda ecotourism in community forests. So we provide them support, technical support to, uh, to write a management plan or to write uh, guidelines for red panda tourism, and they get benefit from that one because they can charge money for, for, from the visitors, they can earn money from the operating homestays. And, and the people who, do, who don't get uh, direct benefits from the, from the ecotourism or something like that, they will also be benefited by the, the fund that that one generated collectively. So, and, and one of the example of that one is uh, one community forest in Eastern Nepal has that kind of initiative. And the fund generated from the ecotourism of Red Panda, at least 50% of that one, they need to be invested in the, in the biodiversity consumption and uh, 20% to the community development and so on. So, so they can mobilize, they can create the resource, they can create the fund from their forest. So they realize that uh, we can make money from conserving Red Pandas. So this is very important for our life, for our children. So they they have a feeling of us of conserving red pandas. They have a feeling of how important is important is red panda conservation. Wow, that's amazing. And if somebody <laughs> wants lockdowns let up and life gets starting back to normal, 
how would somebody book a trip to go to one of these community forests that has red panda ecotourism? Yeah, that's that's very easy. And anybody who wants to see a red panda in the wild can visit our website that redpandanetwork.org. And there is a there is a section called uh, how to be involved to be, and there is a eco trip section. So you can check the dates there and and, uh, and communicate with us to reserve your seats. Uh, we we generally and uh, yeah, the red panda tourism is very sensitive kind of tourism. So we can only uh, run red panda tourism for six months in a year. So the, the community has decided to limit to red panda eco trips so that can cannot hamper their breeding and uh, mating season. So they are very sensitive to the disturbance from the human or anything. So so they keep balance like that one. So then that should, that should make anybody feel wonderful that if they're booking one of these trips, that especially if it's through you specifically, through the Red Panda Network, that they are really are yeah. going to be contributing to conservation. They're not going to be disturbing these amazing animals. Yeah, that's right, Dan. And I know uh, when we... When you come through the Red Panda Network for a Red Panda trip, and I think the at least fifty percent of that money you pay will be will be saved, and that will and the hundred percent of that one goes to the uh, Red Panda Conservation in the field. Wow. Well, next time I come, <laughs> you're more than likely going <laughs> yeah, to be yeah, seeing sure. me, especially if you're in Kathmandu. Raj, he's with like Himalayas Facts, and he's the one that organized our entire trip and stuff, and he was. Unbelievably amazing. He's also based in Kathmandu, so we might have to go out for some beer. Really quickly before we move on to the next part, Sonam and I chat about red pandas being an indicator species for the area's forest. I want to take a brief moment to explain what an indicator species is in case you haven't heard of this term before. An indicator species is an organism that is used to monitor the health of an ecosystem. They're very important in ecological management for their presence or absence can tell scientists a lot about the well-being of an area. Okay, back to Sonam. We, we took a red panda as, a, as an indicated species of temperate broadleaf forest. And that forest provides habitats for the endangered cloudwood leopard and the common leopard, the Himalayan black bear, and, uh, and the spotted lynx, which is a very, uh, which is a kind of endangered in Nepal. And uh, yeah, and a, and a marble cat. The, the first, uh, we also recorded the first photographic record of marble cat for Nepal in 2018. What? Yeah, and, and, and those animals all belong from the red panda habitat. Mm. That is, okay, That that's awesome. And I'm assuming just knowing cat biology like I do, that they probably need large areas of land to be able to be successful in any way. So by saving mm-hmm. the red panda, which also sounds like needs large pieces of land, then those mm-hmm. specific species you just mentioned also mm-hmm. benefit greatly. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Red pandas definitely need a uh, you know a uh, good kind of forest coverage and uh, and a good good forest corridors to migrate from one, one place to another, and that will definitely help you know, every cat species. And we also recorded the tiger in the red panda. Yeah? Really? We, uh, yeah. And, and that was a record high elevation tiger. I was going to say, record. how high was in that? December. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was only 3,265 meters for Nepal, but the, it is the highest elevation for Nepal, for, not for the, for the other range countries. And as yes, Bhutan has a recorded tiger above 4,000 meters. Mm. 
But that was a record high for Nepal. And it was in December last year, December 21. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And what, I mean, and that's you know, awesome. The, yeah. And, you know, we were, we were thinking that the tiger is, the, the eastern boundary of tiger for Nepal was one of the Persa, Persa National Park, which is, a, which is a east, east of Kathmandu, a very near. But, but we recorded it tiger in far eastern Nepal. Yeah, and people, yeah, we, we were not believing that one. <laughs> like, is this camera trap correct? Like, is that really a tiger up here? <laughs> and yeah, wow. yeah it's, and another, another tiger violence in Nepal. And I telephoned him and said, we have a tiger in India, a tiger in Ilan. And he said, is that a tiger? Are you sure? <laughs> and I felt like I cannot, I cannot uh, recognize a tiger. They're pretty hard to miss of all cats. Like, pretty sure when you got a tiger. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm sure he was just as mind blown when you called him as you were. <laughs> and he was not believing actually. And he sent me, he said me to send him a photo. <laughs> <laughs> I need proof. So I'm like, do not believe you until you send me proof. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. So it's like already you can see that your work well, one, it sounds like you're benefiting all these communities that probably wouldn't have near as, you know, many resources or, or support that you're giving. And then you're also starting to see this other wildlife thrive by helping this one species. Oh, my gosh, that's so satisfying. It just makes me feel good. Just yeah. To hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we also we also started to work for the conservation of pangolin because because it's a highly, highly, highly threatened mammal in the in the wall, the most traffic mammal in the wall. And it doesn't say habitat with red panda, but habitat just just means because pangolin's habitat is below just below the 2000 meter and the red panda habitat is just above the 2000 meter. But we also care about all the wildlife, not only red panda. So we also started to work with the, with the local communities just to save pangolin. Wow. Are, and since you, I mean, you've been doing this since, since 2007, so I'm sure you've seen a lot of things that work and don't work. Are you employing mm -hmm. those same strategies with these other communities to save the pangolin, or have you had to switch things up a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 are, you are true. We are just just replicating our red panda conservation models to the to the pangolin conservation because the it is more needful that we need to apply the community-based pangolin conservation. Because almost 99% of pangolin habitat in our areas in eastern Nepal falls under the private land or farmland. So people are directly connected to that one. If they don't understand the importance of pangolin conservation, the pangolin will not be saved. And we need to work with, the, with the every household, every, every local people, every community to make sure that pangolin will be saved for future generations. And it's very sad uh, when we interview local people. There are there are few people who haven't ate pangolin meat meat in their life. So this is very highly needful to initiate a pangolin consumption in Nepal too, because their their status is very I mean very very sad when we know the status real status of pangolin consumption in in the ground. That makes everyone sad. The reality is very yeah, heartbreaking. Right. Yes. Being in the conservation world and seeing what's going on to pangolins, I think it hurts all of our hearts when we see that mm -hmm. and how endangered they are and 
just what they face. And so when did you start working on the pangolin stuff? How long has that project been going on? That's, that's not long. Well, we just started two months ago. Mm. Two months ago. Wow. We just with with serving serving pangolin habitat in eastern Nepal, and we just finished serving one district, which is Ilam, and we we are very excited to uh, to uh, to find uh find uh, or see the evidences of pangolin, despite the threat level is very high, but but still we can we can we still have pangolins in in that area, so it's not not late to initiate our conservation project for, for pangolins. Yeah, and we are trying to intensify our, our work by creating more pangolin guardians in the local local community. So, so we, are, we, are, we are trying to keep focus on that one too. That's, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Two months, so this is like breaking news that you're also starting to help with pangolin conservation. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, with us being in like the US or just other parts of the world, being so far away, sometimes it feels like we don't have really a way to help, you know, because we hear all these things about the red pandas, you know, so many zoos mm -hmm. around uh, mm -hmm. the world, the US and the world have red pandas, but we don't really feel like there's a way to help. And so from your experience, if somebody who is not in Nepal wants to help with red panda or pangolin conservation, what is the best way to go about that? Yeah, yeah, th this is a great question, and uh, thank you for the, thank you for the question, Brooke. And I really appreciate uh, your um, your effort to help conserve indigenous wildlife in the world. And definitely, uh, definitely, what I talked so far is not is not possible with, with the support from the uh, generous people, generous uh, foundations. Uh, around the world, we are only the medium, so we we got a lot of support from every community, every people from from every corner of the world, and this is possible together. and And if someone is uh, listening about the Red Panda Conservation for the first time, you can also be a part of this conservation initiative by donating to our Red Panda Conservation projects, Angling Conservation. And there are a lot of ways. And in our website, www.redpandanetwork.org, you can you can also sponsor forest guardians, or you can also sponsor for the pangolin conservation work in the provided link there. And you can be a red panda steward or pangolin steward, although you are very far from the real red panda habitat. And uh, we are very thankful to the every people who donated so far. We provide support. And we also receive a lot of support from the Jews around the world, who Jews has red pandas. They also have a foundation to support the wild red pandas. And we are very grateful to every foundation, every Jews, every individuals. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. And if somebody, let's say that they are, I mean, because it is COVID and a lot of us have lost our jobs and or something like that. If anybody can't financially support Red pandas. Is there another way that they can help? Yeah, the, the financial help is not only the help to protect red pandas and endangered wildlife. You can just spread the voice, spread the spread the you know, the realities that the red panda felt is not, not doesn't have any values, doesn't have any medicinal purpose, doesn't have any cultural values, and they they doesn't have any market. So if you can spread the voices and if you can share that message to 
to your friend, to, to your community. That will be our great help uh, in conserving red pandas or our conserving pangolins. Uh, mentioning that the, the pangolin scales are not medicine. They are same like our nails. Uh, so that one also be a very, very great support for conserving pangolins or red pandas or any other endangered wildlife. And uh, sometimes you can also volunteer in the ground by providing your time or, pro or providing some expertise of, of your yeah, if you are a good designer, you have a good social media expertise. So you can also, also support us. You can also provide support by developing grant proposals, grant writing. Or if you, can, if you are a good writer, you can tell a story, good story. You can tell some nice stories that, that youth or children will like. So, so there, are, there are a lot of ways to support conservation of wildlife. And I love that you bring that up because that is something that I also love to share. It's like support conservation in your own way. So whatever you are good at inside, like if you're an architect, if you're a writer, if you are great at photography, there are so many different ways to engage and help wildlife. And so I love that. You, I just, I love that you brought that up. And if somebody, let's say that somebody is really great at something a little outside of the box, what is the best way to get a hold of you or the Red Panda Network to share their ideas and to see if it would be a good fit? Oh, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely, they can write us. They have their own way of supporting conservation. Like you came, you, you, you reach out to me for inviting through your podcast. And this one is also a way of supporting Red Panda conservation, right? Mm -hmm. And and you you love podcasting and you want you don't want a lot to podcast, but you have a aim of serving to the conservation of wildlife, the the conservation of nature. So so you are you are a great example. Thanks, Donna. <laughs> yes, having been in the field for a long time now and having traveled to so many places, I meet incredible people like you. And I had no way to share the incredible work that you and so many amazing people around the world are doing. And so that was one of the reasons why I started Rewildology was to share your story and why you care about red pandas and, and all that stuff. So thank you mm -hmm. for that. <laughs> no, thank you for, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to you because uh, we are only the medium, but, but the people like you are able to, to translate our work into so many audiences. I like that. Translate, translate your work. I love that. That's exactly, yeah. yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. I hadn't even thought of it that way. Who knows? Maybe next time I come, I'll just bring a group of people with me. So we'll see. We'll yeah, see how that goes. So. <laughs> I haven't organized yeah. a trip like that before, but it seems like it might happen organically. And then I'll just bring yeah. some awesome people and we can come meet you in Kathmandu and then go into the mountains and see some red pandas. <laughs> yeah, you can see some red pandas in the wild. And at the same time, you can also record your Rewildology podcast. Yes, exactly. The... Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Thank you for uh, hosting me. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Nice talking to you. If you've never seen a red panda or a Himalayan black bear before, head on over to the Rewildology Instagram page to see what these critters look like. Red pandas are freaking adorable and you wouldn't want to come across a pissed off Himalayan black bear and you'll hear why shortly. 
Next up is my conversation with Bupendra. We talk in depth about human bear conflict in the mountains, the similarities and differences between Himalayan black bears and North American black bears, and the struggles conservationists are facing trying to protect the whole mountain ecosystem. All right, here we go. My name is Bupendra Yadav. I'm working in the Department of National Park. And right now, in Langtang National Park, so, and especially I am interested doing some research on work on bears and tigers and on small mammals mm -hmm. as well. So with those published work paper. Oh, did you? What's it called? Fishing cat. So many papers are coming right now and I'm in the government, mm -hmm. so I have to change my position sometime in the mountain, sometime in the center. So before mountain, I was in the department since last five years. Mm -hmm. So my work was to follow the research and make a plan to do some research works in national parks. So I was the in charge of National Tiger Survey. Oh, were you? Last time. In 2018? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I also presented our national presentation in Delhi, in Tiger, Global Tiger Forum. Wow. In wow. many parks. Right now I have a good story uh, of human bear conflict in Langton National Park because I also represent in IUCN, bear specialist group. Mm -hmm. So right now it's a good place to me to do some research work as well. And I'm also the park manager there. So. Side by side, I use my staff and collect the information. So there is also human-bear conflict. So bear, they attack on the people and they make seriously injured. And they also, sometimes they also kill the livestock mm. and mostly the agriculture crops in mm -hmm. season. So they have a different migration. When the agriculture crops grow in lowland, in the lower altitude, they come from the higher altitude down and they raid the crops and then go back. <sighs> so there is a many more issue uh, about the agriculture crops mm. and livestock and human also. Sometimes they, because their nail is very strong like this. Yeah. And when they attack Oof. on the face then, so there is also very, challenging life with the animals to the people because settlement is inside the national park, not outside. Oh, okay. Not like the Bardia and Chitwan. So in the mountain, we have different patterns. So settlement and the national park. So inside the national park, there is also many settlements. Mm. People live, they have the house mm. near the forest. So <laughs> anytime they have threat with the animals, especially bears. So last time I talked with Dev also, I'm planning to make a proposal. Oh yeah? To submit to Ruford and other organizations. They can support us. And my plan is to do some coloring work. If we color the bear and then we can uh, study about the movements when yeah. they come and when they raid the crops and go back. So 
Oh. It will be the first study to Nepal. Really? Yes. Wow, bear hasn't been colored in Nepal no, yet? No, not before. Wow. So my plan is to do some different and science-based and more effective study that can recommend to the government for better management. And also I have planned to do the camera trapping mm. because I have some cameras. So I can use these cameras to these studies. And so that will be effective. So my proposal is almost ready. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, and then I will submit to the Dave also and Rupert. And because camera trapping is expensive work. Mm -hmm. And mountain is more expensive mm -hmm. because people, uh, the transporter cost is high. Just to get there. Yeah. So food and other things people carry from market to their settlement village. So it's expensive. When we send our staff to these areas and they spend two nights, three nights, five nights, then they have to pay more money for food and and other things. So mountain is expensive. Mm. So we just need a little bit more money mm -hmm. because area is very large. So we plan to do the complete study, mm. not the sample study. Yeah, like a full so, comprehensive study yes, of them. Yes, yeah. How many bears do you, like if you could get everything, how many bears do you want to call her? Uh, maybe 10 bears will be sufficient. Mm to take information. And the, are they all sloth bears or also black bears? No, only black bears. Because mm -hmm. sloth bears, they represent from Terai, like Avodhya, mm -hmm. Chitwan, not in mountain. Mm -hmm. And mountain is a black bear. It's a massive <laughs> and dangerous. What's the status of bears here? Are they pretty common up there? Are they hard to find? No, it's common. They're common? Not very common, but it's common. But they are nocturnal, so not in daytime. These people, they can see in night. And during the agriculture, grown. At that time, the last year, bear came at hotel in tourist route. The hotel was closed. Only few people, like workers, they are just staying in their hotel. No tourists, no other people. And bear came at that hotel and they crack the windows and and they enter in the oh my hotel and they eat, they eat uh, fruits and rice, other things, whatever. You know. mm. And they attack the, the staffs. Mm. They enter in the toilet and they save their life. Yes, otherwise they are killed that way. Wow. Mm. So sometimes- increase in Conflict with bears? Yes, conflict is increasing mm. because the, the bear are habituated with the people's habit. Mm. They are not afraid, afraid with the people's because uh, they are coming uh, frequently to the settlement close and they observe the people. So they are not afraid with the people right now. So they are habit and other things are changing right now. Mm. And so that makes sense why you really want to do this study because I'm sure you're seeing yes, because, the increase. Um, in yeah, because I'm there, so okay. I have a good chance mm -hmm. because I also represent bear specialist group from Nepal. So I'm a member of a bear specialist group, black bear and sloth bear. Wow. 
So if I do something new, then it will it will be effective to the other country and you know, Nepal also. Yes. Mm. Did you study bears? Yes. For like your PhD? Since a long time. For a long time? Not PhD, but mm. for many studies. Yeah. Since 2005. Oh, wow. Yes. So you think you really know yeah. the bear biology behavior? I also visited Alaska for the bear conference. In 2016, and last year we had the conference in Montana. Mm, but Montana? It was, really? Yes, it was shifted this year in September. Mm. So maybe my paper is also accepted for this presentation, and maybe. That would be amazing. Fingers <laughs> crossed that it goes through for you. So I presented many places, many countries. For bear from Nepal. But in Nepal, the, the habitat is now fragmented everywhere. So for bears, we are not working intensively for management like a tiger and rhinos mm. because mountain the area is large and the government has no more priorities on the bears. So we are not working anything for bear management. They are surviving themselves, <laughs> not yeah. caring. Yes, but we are only focused on the tiger, rhinos mostly in Terai region, and somehow snow leopard mm. in mountain. Yeah, those are like totally different yes. ranges too. Yeah. So our partners like WWACL and other NTNC, they bring some money for tiger <laughs> and the snow leopard. Yeah, because it sounds like, mm. unfortunately, the snow leopard, I love snow leopards, so it's mm -hmm. amazing that they're getting the support, but they're at a different mm. elevation, right? So their habitat doesn't cover what the bears are at. Is mm. that correct? Snow leopard, they occupy the higher altitude. Yeah. Sometimes they come some points, maybe uh, 3,500 above in that mm -hmm. range, like 4,200, 300. In that range, they can overlap their habitat somewhere, yes. But that's not enough for the bears to yeah. benefit from that protection. Yeah. So we heard when we were in Chile, when we were taught about the Terai Heartland program, the big corridor. Mm -hmm. Is there any work like that for like the mountain region? Because I know you said it's super fragmented. Is there anything like that going on? Mm -hmm. The Terai? Yeah, like that same project for... Not in mountain. Mm. They are only focused in Terai, but we had a project um, by the WWF, it's Sacred Himalayan, but it's uh, almost closed. Mm. They have no money, so oh. <laughs> it's almost... So they were trying to do corridors then, and they just were not Yes, they, they, yeah. they have the principle to connect the mountains parks mm -hmm. each other. Okay. So that's, their name was Sacred Himalayan, so mm. they were working for the mountains and animals and corridors and other things. Mm -hmm. Because right now we shifted our management paradigm. Because if we focus only on one park, it will not be enough to survive one species mm -hmm. and even for the genetics mm -hmm. sense. So if we connect their movement with one park to another park, that will be sufficient in the future also. That's why the corridor concept is very effective to Nepal as well. Mm -hmm. What do you think it would take to make a corridor in the mountain region? If you see the areas map of Nepal, then you can see the most of the mountain region is covered by the areas. So some areas, not many areas, but some areas is only backend to connect with each other. So if we work with work for the connectivity, 
like a corridor, and that will be very useful in the future to the wildlife conservation. Mm -hmm. So in the mountain, it's uh, very good because we already covered many protected areas mm -hmm. from east to west. But is there just like still some pretty big chunks of space missing, mm -hmm. connecting them all? Somewhere there is a big gorge mm -hmm. river. They That's break hard. their yes, break their movement mm -hmm. from one part to another part. <laughs> So we have to care. And another thing is, in the mountain, people, they depend on the natural resources. So I already told you, the settlement is inside the national park. Mm -hmm. So we are working with the people and animals together, not separately. So just out of curiosity, since you know bear so well, we also have a black bear. Mm -hmm. From your just knowledge over the years, do you see any similarities with North American black bears and like Asian black bears? Yes, the physical look is almost similar, but uh, fooding habit and other things is different mm -hmm. for Nepal. Because bear, they can uh, survive at any places because their distribution is very large. Uh, in Nepal, they represent in all the mountain regions from uh, 1,000 meters to almost 3,600, 700 meters oh. in the hills and mountains, but they don't, don't go in terrain land. Mm -hmm. So they have a large, wide range, so they can survive food available in the region. They eat and they can survive. I mean, so what keeps you hopeful? What do you think will help the situation? Hmm. I think uh, we are changing our systems, mm. like management systems. So we are also working with the local government. They have lots of money right now in the federal system. So they, they have like a rural development committee and they have uh, lots of money for development and other contributions. That is also a challenge for us because the, the rural development committee like a local government, they try to make a road everywhere. They use uh, machines and just they dig a road without any permission. Mm. Oh. So like so, no surveying or anything? Yes, and it is out of control to us because we cannot control all the authority at anywhere because they come in the mass of people and they are against of us. We need a development, we need a road. We need um, electricity, we need uh, other things. So they have lots of money and they are also destroying the habitat as well. But people are right now, they are in peace with the local government and they are gradually benefited from them. So maybe when they, they are educated, when they have a money, then they don't go to the forest they don't cut out trees and, and hopefully they don't kill the animals for poaching. So we are also connecting with them and we sit together and we just say, the local body, we say, you can also coordinate for the like cooking stoves and other things, what they need. So if they can support them, then they will be self-dependent, like they, they will have the electricity for cooking and gas and other things and they don't go to the forest and they save their time and they can use that time for money for other works. Mm, yeah. Yes. So gradually it is changing. Mm. Sounds like a lot. But it will take time. The Nepal Coexisting with Giants series was recorded in March 2021 with me, your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman and fellow conservationist Courtney Gonzalez. All of the stories shared are from the guest viewpoints and their first-hand experiences. 
A special thanks to the Katie Adamson Conservation Fund for helping to support this series through their Conservation Travel Fund and connecting us with their amazing Nepalese partners. To hear more about KACF and their founder, check out episode two with Dave Johnson. If you're liking the show, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. If you're feeling super squirrely, share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. Sharing is the best way to help the show grow and I couldn't do it without you. Until next time, my friends, together we will rewild the planet.